This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. In the 1940s, right as the chaos of World War II was coming to a close, two heavyweights of the public imagination met for the first time. And at first glance, they couldn't appear more different. As author Priscilla Frank noted in a 2015 article about these two people, quote, One was a cartoonist, animator, and filmmaker, responsible for choreographing the imaginations of countless growing children with his beloved characters. The other was a surrealist, responsible for some of the most haunting and hallucinatory images ever to be imprinted onto the collective subconscious. One had a soft spot for anthropomorphized mice and stuttering ducks, the other for melting clocks and voracious ants. One said, if you can dream it, you can do it. And the other said, I don't do drugs. I am drugs. Who were these two individuals? Well, they were none other than the American animator and Mickey Mouse mastermind, Walt Disney, and mustachioed surrealist Spanish painter, Salvador Dali. Two hugely different icons of modernism. Vastly different. Or were they? Surely they didn't have a lot of crossover in their professional lives. Or maybe they did. Because in 1946, they created a six-and-a-half-minute film so experimental, so ahead of its time, that it didn't see the light of day for 58 years. Some people think that visual art is dry, boring, lifeless. But the stories behind those paintings, sculptures, drawings, and photographs are weirder, crazier, or more fun than you can imagine. Today, we're uncovering the bizarre artistic love child of Walt Disney and Salvador Dali with their incredible short film, Destino. This is a special bonus episode of the Art Curious Podcast. Exploring the unexpected, the slightly odd, and the strangely wonderful in art history. I'm Jennifer Dassel. Walt Disney has already once made an appearance in our podcast, in our popular second season episode, The Draft, The Doctrine, and The Duck. That's episode number 25 if you want to look it up. But this marks the first look at one of the most iconic artists of modernism, Salvador Dali, he of those melting watches and that waxed-up mustache. Since the first half of the 20th century, Dali has become synonymous with surrealism, an art movement from the 1920s derived from the writings and art of post-World War I Dadaists. From Dada, surrealists grew inspiration from dreams and the study of the Freudian subconscious, with the ultimate intention of startling and disturbing the viewer, not only through an abstraction of technique, but also by its primal and occasionally arbitrary subject matter. Dali combined this intention with very precise brushstrokes and a semi-realistic painting technique, making his work some of the most easily identifiable paintings produced during his lifetime. 
So Salvador Dali had this whole painting thing down. But in the mid-1930s, he got the idea for trying something new and working in a medium that he hadn't yet explored, animation. He felt that animation was the method to bring to life his ideal of the metaphysical world. And where was the best place to meet the top animators in the world? Well, none other than Walt Disney Studios in Burbank, California. In a letter to French surrealist André Breton, Dali made his plans very clear, writing, quote, I have come to Hollywood and am in contact with the three great American surrealists, the Marx Brothers, Cecil B. DeMille, and Walt Disney. The game was on. Dali first encountered Walt Disney in 1945 at a studio party he attended for Warner Brothers at executive Jack Warner's house. It wasn't Dali's first time in Hollywood. He had made his primary connections there in the late 1930s. But this time, Dolly was in town to work on a dream sequence for Alfred Hitchcock's film, Spellbound. While at the Warner Brothers party, Dolly and Disney eyed each other and made the usual chit-chat, in and of itself a feat, considering Dolly's minor knowledge of English and Disney's lack of Spanish. But then things took a turn after both men quickly confessed a mutual appreciation for each other's art. From most accounts, the friendship between Disney and Dolly grew quickly. As Walt's nephew, Roy E. Disney, once told animation historian John Canemaker, quote, Apparently they were fairly close. It always seemed to me like they were both really relentless self-promoters, and they must have seen that in one another, unquote. And what's the best way for two relentless self-promoters to make a big splash? Well, to work on a project together, of course. But first, how to merge the family-friendly style of Disney Studios with the oddness and even chilling sensation of many Dali works. Radical and impressive for its time, Salvador Dali's surrealist style was not one typically seen in Disney animation. While it can be argued that most fairy tales are fantastical in their imaginative impossibility, they are not surrealist in terms of the movement's formal aspects. What can be said is that both fairy tales and works of surrealism take us out of our everyday lives, experiences, and visuals, and they help us to see beyond surface-level reality. And with that basis in mind, it becomes clearer to see why and how Disney and Dali could collaborate. As a 2011 exhibition pamphlet from a show at the Dali Museum in Figuera, Spain asserts, the co-production made a great deal of sense for Dali. Quote, if we consider that one Dalinian constant is his bringing together of the elitist artistic idea and mass culture and vice versa, Destino becomes a unique artistic product in which Dalinian expressiveness is combined with Disney's fantasy and sonority, making it a film in which Dali's images take on movement and Disney's figures become Dali-like." Plus, it's not like previous Disney films didn't already have some mind-bending moments. Take, for example, some of the colorful segments of Fantasia from 1940, or even the trippy Pink Elephants on Parade segment from Dumbo in 1941. But this, a new film which would eventually be christened Destino, would be a totally different entity. And that's coming up next, right after this quick break. We all have photos on our phones or cameras or posted to our social media accounts. But when you get that really perfect picture and you want to turn it into something real that you can see every day, PosterBurner.com is ready for you. It can turn all of your photos into amazing prints. 
So imagine walking into your room and seeing that perfect family photo or vacation picture on your wall. Or say that you need to get a perfect gift for your family or friends. There is nothing that's going to be as impressive and as meaningful as a custom print. Poster Burner is very easy to use, it's totally affordable, and the quality is truly top-notch. They make amazing posters. And when I say posters, I don't mean those flimsy posters that you see in stores. These are made on super thick premium photo paper and you can get a 24 by 36 movie size poster for under $20. They also make custom canvas prints, metal prints, decals, stickers, banners, and so much more. So go to posterburner.com slash artcurious today and you'll get an additional 10% off your order. That discount applies to every type of print they offer. Again, that is posterburner.com slash artcurious. Welcome back to Art Curious. Destino ended up being a fascinating little film, and how could it not be with two such powerful creative minds at the forefront here? Both Dali and Disney naturally brought their own life lenses to the project, with Dali describing the film as, quote, a magical display of the problem of life in the labyrinth of time, unquote, whereas Disney called it, quote, a simple story about a young girl in search of true love, unquote. That sounds almost like they could be two different movies. So what is the story of Destino? Destino's narrative, as loose as it is, is based on a Mexican folk song and tells the tragic love story of Kronos, the personification of time, who falls in love with a mortal woman named Dahlia, a dark-eyed ballerina. And as the two float across the surrealist landscape of Dali paintings, they move through these impossible locales, and it becomes quite apparent that the two are unable to be together, despite their existence in this beautiful dreamlike world. Dali described one sequence, saying, quote, The shadow of a bell emerges to the silhouette of a girl, and the two of them begin to dance. The head of Kronos sculpted onto a pyramid disengages itself from the stone and also begins to dance, trying to cast off a hail of monsters falling from the sky. Kronos delivers the monsters out of his body, but each time he gets one off, a hole is left in him." Unquote. So, yeah, definitely not your typical Disney fare. Dali himself worked closely with Disney animators, especially a man named John Hench, in order to bring his designs to life. And it certainly was an adventure to do so, being that Hench also could not speak Spanish, and Dali, as we have noted, barely knew any English so both men communicated in garbled French to set the basis of their collaboration. Hench noted in interviews in the early 2000s that Dali, having no animation experience, was flummoxed by the idea of transitions and the way animated scenes would morph into one another, having wanted to insert more drastic jump cuts, for example, a la Un Chien Andalou, his 1929 surrealist short film with Spanish director Luis Buñuel. But Dali got the hang of the particularities of animation, and together, he and Hench, with Disney's input and direction, produced sequences in late 1945 and early into 1946. As you can imagine, the pairing of Disney storytelling and Dali's surrealist art makes for a truly arresting visual presentation. But few knew about it, because even though Dali and Disney began the project quickly after meeting in 1945, it stalled after three months with only seconds of film actually produced from the myriad sketches and storyboards. And consequently, Destino was never completed or released. The reasons why are several, but here are the main bullet points. First, Disney Studios and its partner, RKO, 
decided that Destino, especially in this short subject format, probably wouldn't make any money. It was too weird, too rambling, perhaps. And so it was canned for mainly financial reasons, especially considering that the studio was dealing with a money crunch in the midst of, and immediately following, World War II. But as NPR reporter David Darcy noted in a 2003 story, Walt Disney regretted the decision to put the work away in the Disney vaults, particularly because he was always eager to show critics any moves toward innovation and experimentation, because most critics of his cartoons said they were too straight edge and too traditional in type, story, and format. But there were additional complications leading to the shuttering of Destino, being that the Disney studios, advanced though they were, just did not have the technology to make their exact vision for the film a reality. Had it been released at its time, it would have been a revolutionary artistic experience and an enormous player in the avant-garde film movement. The Destino project remained a secret and didn't see the light of day until a half century later when, in 1999, Walt Disney's nephew, Roy E. Disney, accidentally stumbled upon it while working on Fantasia 2000, the sequel to the groundbreaking 1940 film pairing animation and classical music. One can see the influence of the original Fantasia on Destino in their shared dreaminess and wordlessness, highlighted by a score by Mexican composer Armando Dominguez and performed by singer and recording artist Dora Luce. Fascinated by what he saw, and with the fortuitous timing of the Fantasia 2000 production, Roy Disney pushed to resurrect the dormant Destino using the existing footage and preliminary sketches to complete the project in the 21st century with a brand new team of animators. Dolly and Disney's collaboration finally came to fruition and was eventually released in 2003 to critical praise and an Academy Award nomination for Best Animated Short Film. It did not win, by the way. Those honors went to an Australian clay animation film called Harvey Crumpet. You can see Destino today in its entirety on YouTube, of course, and it was also available as a special feature on the 2010 Blu-ray release of Fantasia and Fantasia 2000. Jumping ahead in time to our present moment, the eventual release of Destino brings up some questions and musings about its effects on animation past and present. Giving serious consideration to Dolly's influence on Disney, Alfred Hitchcock, and other filmmakers both in mid-century America and Britain may give us hope about the future of animated productions, one where other film companies and producers might feel encouraged to take chances and tell stories in new visual ways. Might we see more interaction in the future with big-name studios and major players in the avant-garde art world? Would Banksy pair up with Pixar? How about Kahindi Wiley jumping into a Netflix or an Amazon project? So it might not be probable, but it is possible. And if it were to happen, I, for one, would totally be on board with it. Next month on the Art Curious Podcast, come back and hear our fourth season. That's coming up next month, so subscribe now and don't miss it. Thank you for listening to the Art Curious Podcast. This brief bonus episode was written, produced, and narrated by me, Jennifer Dassel, with additional writing and research help by Patricia Gomez. Our theme music is by Alex Davis at alexdavismusic.com. Our logo is by Dave Rainey at daverainydesign.com. And social media help is by Emily Crockett. Our production and editorial services are provided by Kabunki. Video, 
content ideas. Learn more at kabonki.com. The Art Curious Podcast is sponsored primarily by AnchorLight. AnchorLight is an interdisciplinary creative space founded to foster artists, designers, and craftspeople at varying stages of their development. Home to studios, residency opportunities, and exhibition spaces, AnchorLight encourages mentorship and the cross-pollination of skills among creatives in the triangle. Please visit AnchorLightRaleigh.com. The Art Curious Podcast is also fiscally sponsored by VAE Raleigh, a 501c3 nonprofit creativity incubator. This means that you can donate to the show and it is fully tax deductible. Check out our website for more information, including images, contact details, and links to our previous episodes. That site is artcuriouspodcast.com. Lastly, if you love Art Curious and want even more of what we do here, you'll be thrilled to know that I am available for lectures, live podcast events, and other art-related gigs. Contact me if you would like me to visit your museum, college, university, or city. Check back next month as we continue to explore the unexpected, the slightly odd, and the strangely wonderful in art history.